This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5pm in the city. At the close, the FTSE 100 positive by 1%, led by the big pro-cyclical players, the likes of Rio and the big energy names that you well know at home, BP and Shell, etc. Off the back of a big pop in crude prices, up by 3% on Brent to $70.72, 65.28 on WTI, up by almost 3% on that contract as well. In the FX market, what does it all mean for sterling? Well, for the pound, it's positive, 141.62. For the US dollar in the G10 space, it is mixed against the euro. The euro still a little bit stronger on the day after some hawkish comments from Evold Novotny of the European Central Bank. Euro dollar at 123.39, positive a tenth of 1%. And to round things out in the bond market, the PPI print in the United States came in a little bit hotter than expected. CPI tomorrow, yields bleed higher by a basis point or two to just south of 280 on a US 10-year. So that's the feel of this market cross-asset. Let's get you up to speed on the top stories. Is Charlie Pellet. And a lot to watch. Jonathan Farrell, President Trump has cancelled a planned trip this weekend to South America. America, where he was going to be taking part in a summit with other other Western hemispheric leaders. The White House said that he is contemplating a military response to a chemical weapons attack in Syria. The trail of destruction left by American sanctions against Russia's most influential oligarchs has spread to President Putin's government as surging borrowing costs forced the finance ministry to pull a planned bond sale. It is the first debt auction that Russia is abandoning since cancellations in 2014 and 2015 when Putin's annexation of Crimea soured relations with the United States and the European Union. And in Washington, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg is just over two hours away from taking questions about data and privacy from members of Congress. Lawmakers are going to be grilling Facebook CEO on issues ranging from the troves of data vacuumed up by app developers and political consultant Cambridge Analytica to Russian operatives' use of the social network to spread misinformation and discord during the U.S. presidential election. So a lot going on. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you. Charlie Pellet, thank you very much, sir. We begin with the markets where risk appetite has returned as China and the United States are striking an optimistic turn on trade, improving investor sentiment despite lingering questions. This is a series of negotiations that involves a number of topics. The leaders are now at least demonstrating that they feel that it is appropriate there is talk rather than trade war. The market is becoming relatively immune. It's good news, obviously. If there's not going to be a heightening trade war between the US and China, um, then clearly the markets will like that. I don't think we're on the edge of a precipice, Tom. I think we will see continued heightened volatility. The next critical stage is whether there's going to be escalation or de-escalation. Chinese President Xi Jinping reiterating pledges to open sectors from banking to auto manufacturing in a speech that warned against returning to a Cold War mentality amid trade disputes with U.S. counterpart 
President Donald Trump. Joining me to discuss, Ken Vexler, Director of Acumen Management, and Danny Berger, Markets and Quants reporter. Ken, no change to policy from the Chinese. In fact, President Xi Jinping reiterating what he's already said before. Actions will always speak louder than words, but I guess in a uh, in a war of words, words matter, Ken. Did this matter overnight? Um, I, th- I, think it, I think it does. I think in, in, in the sense that China is in all likelihood going to give Trump and the U.S. just enough rope upon which to hang themselves as we head closer into, um, into the midterms. Because ultimately, Xi Jinping is making all the right noises in that they want to be cooperative, they want an open economy or as, as much as one is, is allowable under the circumstances. And yet this is all getting under Trump's skin. And he only knows one way, which is just to bully, 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 raise the tariffs by another, I don't know, whatever, 100 yards, whatever it's going to be next week. So he's, I think he's going to be made to look fairly foolish in, in the scheme of things. Ken, have we got an idea of what the minimum condition for success actually is for this administration? <laughs> I, no clue. I, I, think, well, I think for Trump it'll be at the polls come November, December and the midterms. I think that'll be his gauge of success as well as how he's doing week to week in the popularity states. And by his own reckoning and, and stuff that we've seen certainly in the last couple of weeks, he, I mean, that popularity is gaining. He's, he's now at, I think, 51% at last count. So he's, he's pretty happy with himself. And the, um, the stock market hasn't entirely defecated the bed. So things are okay, I think, for him. Yeah. Yes, maybe. Things are okay in the market this morning, Dan, and throughout the day. And Danny, I've got to say, every single day at the moment, it's a market dominated by investor psychology and sentiment. Um, We go from trade war on to trade war off. And I guess today it's trade war off. It's really remarkable. But I think the overall sentiment that you keep feeling time and time again is that stock markets really want to rally here. Uh, or just investors are really looking for that risk on. One thing that I would point to is throughout all this trade rhetoric, throughout all stock markets uh, taking it on the chin, one thing that I know you've talked about and and a lot of people that really confused them was the lack of response uh, from FX markets. So maybe this is what uh, what they had sort of predicted, the lack of FX volatility were smarter heads in the room saying, look, we're not going to get any huge uh, trade war, tensions will come down. Uh, basically, markets want to rally if only politicians will let them. Um, and, and we're seeing uh, so-called smart money wanting to participate here too. Last CFTC data had hedge funds and other large speculators, their longest in S&P 500 futures in a year, which is pretty remarkable when you think about the choppiness of trading that hedge funds, uh, who dispersions are really wide right now for returns, but they are willing to go ahead and step in there. And despite some of the uncertainty, some of that macro uncertainty are really willing to buy up long positions. What do you make of that, the the comments, Ken, on, on the FX market? Why haven't we seen disinfect the FX market in the same way that's infected equities? Well, I'd, I'd like to take it, you know, the, the way Danny phrased it, we're the, we're the smarter heads in the room, but that's, that'll never be repeated outside of this, uh, <laughs> this uh, broadcast. Look, I think if we, I mean, it comes back to, I suppose, what we uh, in-house thought about uh, at the beginning of the year, which is that there isn't likely to be a discernible dollar trend this year. And certainly if you look at it, say, for maybe the first two weeks of January, we've been in a pretty much wide range. Now, the reason is that 
There's nothing that's been discernible direction-wise as yet. It has been a lot of rhetoric. It has been trade war, trade skirmish, war on, war off, and the like. But in terms of definitive, decisive flow-through to data and to actual market impacts, as it were, we haven't seen any. And even, even the tax cuts that we saw tail end of last year, it's going to take a little while through, or rather a little while for them to actually filter through into the real economy. So as a consequence... There, there isn't just there just isn't enough meat on the bone right now to yeah. get too involved. Danny, from the investors that you speak to on a daily basis, are they starting to think that this is a discussion over trade that ultimately continues and tensions may or may not continue to rise as well? But it's a debate that takes place in the background and stops disrupting markets in the way that it has over the last month or so. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it w- with the latter. One thing that I've heard over and over again from different investors that I've spoken to is that essentially this kind of rhetoric needs to be put in the background so we can concentrate on the holy grail of the bull market, the thing that's been underpinning it all, which are earnings. Uh, earnings right now, we're, we're expected to have some pretty big superlatives in both Europe and the U.S. Europe, it's, about, it's predicted to be about the best since 2008, in the U.S. 2011. Now, of course, this is a more important narrative as earnings kick off relatively soon here. But that was one of the things I heard as I called up people today saying, hey, why are we rallying so much at this point? It's because, look, now this is in the background and we can concentrate yeah. on these stellar earnings that are coming. Danny Berger, Marcus and Quants reporter, as we get ready for earnings season, as it kicks off here in the United States on Friday with those bank earnings. Staying with us alongside Ken Vex, the director of Acumen Management. Next up on the program, the United States sanctioning Russia and the ECB and a hawkish tone from Governor Novotny. That's next. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio, the Euro. Got a beast boost. I get my words out today. Got a boost a little bit earlier. Euro dollar up to 123.38. We're off session highs. We're up about a tenth of 1%. We were up as much as a half of 1% after Governor Ivan Novotny, Austria's central bank, fired up speculation about how the European Central Bank will start raising borrowing costs by saying policymakers could lift the deposit rate. Austria's central bank governor told Reuters in an interview on Tuesday that he would have no problem with moving from negative 0.4% to negative 0.2% as a first step before following up with an increase in the main refinancing rate, which currently stands at zero. With me to discuss is Ken Vexler, Director of Acumen Management at Danny Berger Markets and Quants Reporter. What's interesting about this, Ken, is that the ECB actually came out as well and I didn't notice until you tweeted it, um, and, and basically said they are the views of Governor Novotny and not the views of the Governing Council, which is somewhat rare, isn't it, Ken? Um, it is rare. I suppose the, uh, the operating method is, is different in that there's usually a trial balloon uh, quoting unnamed sources in a Reuters article, and the next day they're refuted and, what, and whatnot. Today, however, we got the full spectrum. The ECB essentially turned around and said, look, uh, Mr Novotny, there's your box. Let us walk you back towards it, and then you can kindly get back in. Um, the ECB essentially knows how and when to raise rates, and the time is nowhere near now or yeah. anytime soon. So as a consequence, 
they can't afford to let the market get ahead of what it's already gotten ahead of itself. The market is already thinking ECB is going to be hiking rates any day now. They can't afford to to really bait that anymore. And so as a consequence, they were forced, you know, as we saw today, to come right out and be fairly explicit about it. Danny, is there any reason in the economic data for the hawks on the ECB to be getting bullish at this point? We definitely have seen um, some of these, the economic surprise indexes where, I mean, an argument can be made uh, how much read through you can take from those. Uh, but Europe and most most developed markets, we have seen nearing peak levels. Europe is not there yet. Uh, there's also another indicator I look to, like to look at. It's a, a Morgan Stanley cycle indicator. And so this is going to take into credit um, corporate health, a, a bunch of different indicators that say where we are in the cycle. And again, you're seeing Japan, you're seeing the U.S. all looking near the peak, Japan even turning over. Uh, but Europe is not there yet. Um, but at, at the same time, we are looking at uh, European corporate bonds. Spreads are jumping uh, now at the widest in about six months. Um, you know, and, and, and that's even as there are factors there that say, hey, this the ECB uh, is still going to be supportive, yet that is occurring. So there definitely is some tension there that maybe not all is okay as it's made out to be. There was a discussion at the start of the year, Ken, which made everything sound so simple and so easy. And as we know, three months into the year, it's always completely the opposite. And the simple, easy story that was told was that the data would continue to improve and that the ECB would pull back QE, finish it by September, maybe the end of the year. And then the focus would be lifting interest rates. And as Danny points out, the surprise index has completely rolled over. The data relative to expectations and the data, just in terms of the absolute numbers, haven't been terrific. Is the ECB and the trajectory of their policy that predictable or more unpredictable now, Ken? Um, I, well, the, the funny thing is that we're never that predictable at the start of the year. I mean, you, you've got to be careful who you talk to and, more importantly, what you listen to. I think that story in of itself is, was a lot of hot air at the time, and I think that is now coming to pass as we're seeing with data rollover. And I think Danny hit the, the nail on the head. The, the, you know, the indicative nature of where the market has its head at versus where reality is is that yields might be jumping, but the underlying doesn't support it. Yields are jumping because everyone perceives it the ECB are about to hike. They're not. So as a consequence, there's a disconnect. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a long time coming before the ECB really makes any sort of noise about north with rates. Ken Vexler, Director and Acumen Management at Danny Berger Markets and Quants Reporter, sticking with me. It has been a volatile couple of months for global markets and an incredibly volatile couple of days for Russian markets. That conversation's next. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. The trail of destruction left by American sanctions against Russia's most influential oligarch spread to President Vladimir Putin's government as surging borrowing costs forced the finance ministry to pull a planned bond sale. My Bloomberg Surveillance co-host Tom Keane and I discussed the US sanctions against Russia with Daniel Tannenbaum, Global Financial Services Sanctions Leader at PwC, earlier this morning. What is step two or step three or step eight of sanctions? I mean, I guess we all get brie cheese as a sanction item. Where do we go next on sanctions if we sanction? Well, if we're looking at Russia 
And I think the move that the Trump administration made on Friday was by far the most significant since the Russia sanctions came Describe out in that, 2014. The, the Trump administration finally made good on the congressionally requested mandate to designate oligarchs and businesses close to President Putin. January 31st, around 11.57 p.m., there was the first oligarch list that came out, which, which was really nothing but the fortune list of the top 100 wealthiest people in Russia. What came out on Friday was significant. These are businessmen yeah. who actually are part of the global economy, who have dealings with the United States that have global businesses. This was a significant designation. What's fascinating about this, and it always strikes me as incredible when you have such a huge divorce between narratives and reality. The reality is this administration has now actually gone above and beyond what the previous administration did on Russia. This is really quite strong stuff from this administration against Russia. And it's not even just this. If you take the action for the amount of diplomats expelled, it was greater than any European country, including the UK, in terms of how many diplomats from the Russian government were forced out. So they've actually taken some fairly significant steps against yeah. Russia. You don't hear much narrative outside of the actions and the press releases coming out of Treasury, however. So let's talk about what this ultimately means. They've sanctioned 24 individuals, 14 companies. How does this actually play out and what are the kind of hotspots you're looking at? So the, the simple rationale of what this means is all of these individuals and entities and their assets in the United States are considered blocked. So they cannot access them, move them, do anything with them. It also means that U.S. businesses um, and U.S. persons cannot do business with these individuals and entities. Where this gets more complicated and where I'm advising clients very specifically at the moment is this is not an exhaustive list. So if you look at these oligarchs and you look at the list of entities designated, this is not an, an exhaustive list of their holdings. Anything that these individuals own, 50% or more, is also considered a blocked entity, meaning there's wow. prohibitions and dealings with them. So it's a bit of a go-fish exercise because you have to do the due diligence, understand beneficial owners of your clients to know who actually owns these businesses in Russia and is it one of these designated oligarchs. You're listening to Dan Tannenbaum, the Global Financial Services Sanctions Leader at PwC, Price Waterhouse Coopers. With me, Ken Vexler, Director and Acumen Management, and Danny Berger, Markets and Quants Reporter. Danny, some phenomenal price action in Russian assets um, off the back of some of these sanctions and the heightened tension that things might escalate in Syria and Russia's questionable involvement in the country. Can you just run me through some of the price action we've seen over the last couple of days? Yeah, sure. So first, focusing in on bonds, I think the most interesting thing here is when we first started this route yesterday, it was mostly concentrated in uh, med metals and mining. Uh, but that's actually spread out now, uh, really hurting the solid majority. Uh, the breadth of this pain is, is quite remarkable. Um, and, and just for what it's worth, when we do see a sell-off like this, uh, you do tend to see the market snap back when it's just sort of indiscriminate risk. Uh, but still, uh, again, widespread pain. The other thing that I think is pretty interesting, um, you know, I, John, you know I love looking at different ETFs. So there are these kind of crazy ETFs that you can get three times levered of um, a, a Russia stock market exposure. 
There's one that's going to give you a normal long exposure. The other one is going to be um, a bearish exposure, exposure. So three times levered inverse, kind of a crazy fun. But just to give you the an idea of the hot money that's trading in this, because if you're trading an ETF that sounds crazy, like I just explained, yeah. you're going to be in and out of it pretty quickly. Uh, the thing traded the the bearish one traded about ten million uh, in in value. The other one about eighty million in value, and and that really uh, each one barely has more assets than the amount traded yesterday. So these things are going wild right now. Uh, but I would emphasize it does seem to be hot, quick-moving money at this moment. Ken, what are your thoughts on what we have seen and and why it has been isolated almost exclusively to, to Russian assets elsewhere? You've seen some big moves in aluminium, but it hasn't really bled into European markets in a significant way. Um, well, I suppose it hasn't bled in only because the the breadth of, of what this all entails is yet to be entirely dissected. And as your uh, as your guest earlier on, uh, Daniel, I think his name was yeah. um, from PwC, mentioned that uh, it's only in the coming months or, or however long it's going to take that people and, and, and clients and businesses are going to have to start taking far more care as to who and what they're doing business with. So as a consequence, I think the bleed through is yet to start. Um, so and you on, think it, you the, think it will, Ken? Well, I think, I mean, if these sanctions are to be upheld, and unless these oligarchs have managed to somehow shift their business interests in such a way as, as to hide their tracks, then, then it will bleed through. Uh, the interesting thing is, up until now, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to exercise any sort of criminology here, but uh, Putin has very much been, you know, Teflon-esque, and as, as have been the oligarchs. And I think the reason for that is that Putin has in, in many ways made it clear that no matter what the sanctions imposed or what the you know, repercussions of, of the, the West against the US, uh, against Russia rather, Putin will have them under his wing, as it were, and, and he will look after them. Now, the more expensive and the more far-reaching all of this becomes, the harder it is for Putin to keep that promise or to actually do anything over and above. Yeah. So this is, this is where it gets interesting, yeah. Ken Vexler, it's been great to catch up with you to get your insight. Director at Acumen Management and Danny Berger, our markets and quants reporter at Bloomberg out of London. Great to have you with us on the program. Next up on the program, we look ahead to Mark Zuckerberg's grilling or potential grilling on Capitol Hill. That preview's next. You're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. At a close, the FTSE 100 positive by 1%. Big gains for those big pro-cyclical trades. Energy, the miners really outperforming on the FTSE 100 today. The DAX positive by 1.11%. In the United States, gains across the board. The S&P 500 up by 1.1%. The Dow up by one3 The mood music around the trade story improves. A conciliatory tone from President Xi Jinping in China helping fuel some of today's gains. Let's get you up to speed on the top stories then. Here's Charlie 
Palette. I thank you very much, Jonathan Farrell. We begin in Washington. President Trump canceling a planned trip this weekend to South America, where he was to participate in a summit with other Western Europe, uh, Western Hemispheric leaders. The White House says he is contemplating a military response to a chemical weapons attack in Syria. The trail of destruction left by American sanctions against Russia's most influential oligarchs has spread to President Putin's government as surging borrowing costs forced the finance ministry to pull a planned bond sale. It is the first debt auction that Russia is abandoning since cancellations in 2014 and 2015 when Putin's annexation of Crimea soured relations with the United States and the European Union. And back to Washington, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, just under two hours away from taking questions about data and privacy from members of Congress. Lawmakers will be grilling Zuckerberg on issues ranging from the troves of data vacuumed up by app developers and political consultant Cambridge Analytica to Russian operatives' use of the social network to spread misinformation and discord during the U.S. presidential election. So a lot going on. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrow, back to you. Charlie, thank you. We stick with Facebook. The CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, due to testify to Congress in just a couple of hours' time and tomorrow, in the midst of the worst privacy crisis in Facebook's history, the co-founder said, it was my mistake and I'm sorry. That's according to a copy of the prepared testimony ahead of his appearance today. Earlier, I chatted with Andy Hargreaves, the director of equity research at KeyBank Capital, about what to expect from the Facebook CEO. Yeah, I'd really be surprised if we saw something uh, particularly meaningful coming out today. I think there's, you know, obviously the grandstanding element and... Um, and he's got to perform reasonably well under that pressure. Uh, but I expect what we'll see is what we saw from his prepared statement in the press conference last week. Andy, for Facebook and for Mark Zuckerberg, if Congress asks, why shouldn't we regulate you, how can you police yourself? What's his argument for that? Well, I think his argument is going to be you can regulate us. Um, just regulate us smartly. Um, and I think. He'll do that knowing that any regulation raises cost in the industry, and higher cost means higher barriers to entry. Um, so I think there's probably both a, um, a motive that's a little bit self-serving, and, and it also takes the heat off of him and puts it on the regulation. Andy, the heat's very much been on him, and a, a series of media outlets running a list of questions that they would like to see asked. And I thought that the FT put it quite nicely and quite succinctly. They basically said, how much profit are you willing to give up to address these issues? Do we have our hands around how much profit he's willing to give up to address these issues? Well, I mean, coming into the year, they guided to expense growth that was pretty extraordinary given their size. Um, they've already committed a significant amount of resources. I think given that you're dealing with sort of the long-term viability of the platform in a way that they'll commit whatever it takes. Um, now, is that going to be an onerous amount that means that they're not going to make any money? Probably not. Um, and that's what we're trying to figure out. Andy, today, as far as you're concerned, the last month or so has been about data privacy. For other people, their issue with Facebook is quite simply making people dumb. For other people, their issue with <laughs> Facebook is that advertisers are able to take advantage of the platform and sell questionable products towards people that perhaps are completely uninformed and end up buying them. What is the ultimate issue, Andy, <laughs> for this company that needs addressing? Because everything has just been thrown into one and thrown down to Capitol Hill. Yeah, um... You know, I, those are funny because it's you could have said the same thing about TV or radio or every Precisely. media that's been ad-supported that's ever come, right? Um, it's just that they do it better and more efficiently and on a bigger scale. 
And I think that's honestly one of the things that we have to address here is like a lot of what is coming out is our own sort of human frailty. Um, and we need to deal with that maybe more than, than some of the data privacy issues themselves. Well, that was Andy Hargreaves, Director of Equity Research at KeyBank Capital, and what to expect from Mark Zuckerberg later. Joining me now is Michael Regan, Senior Editor and Lead Blogger for Markets Live, and Gina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg. Mike Regan, the theatre around this. Can we just sort of get our hands around whether this is going to be a grilling or not? <laughs> theatre is a great word for it, I think. Um, you know, you think of all the questions uh, an analyst or, or even a journalist might ask Zuckerberg today, things like, well, are, is user growth slowing because of this? Are people turning off, deleting Facebook? Are, are advertisers going away? I doubt we'll get to any of that from from Congress today. I mean, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be a lot of anger from the Dems about the, the last election. Uh, my guess is from the Republicans, it's going to be a lot of attempts to say that none of it mattered, you know. Uh, so I, I think there's I think it's kind of a bit of a lopsided risk for Zuckerberg. Uh, he, he can come off looking bad. Um, I, I think there's going to be anger directed at him from both sides. Um, and I don't see a lot of upside. I don't see him. Uh, I don't see how he sort of rebuilds confidence with 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 this hearing it's um, hard to see how much more downside you'd see i think coming into this in terms of the will he get grilling or not story i was told multiple times that this was a bipartisan effort and then i spoke to a republican senator yesterday who seemed very open-minded and relaxed about this appearance yeah, yeah. from mark zuckerberg are we expecting actually to be what you just said democrats versus republicans and not a whole lot comes out of it well i i think you know, I would guess that the Democrats will be more aggressive. I yeah. mean, they are the one looking at Facebook as potentially the turning point in, in the election. Uh, whether or not that's true or not, I mean, it's it's something that they will certainly uh, portray or, or try to um, try to suss him out on. Um, but, uh, you know, theater, I think, is the best word, as you put it. Politicians know when people are tuning into a hearing and, and it's becomes a bit of an act um fundamentally i'm not sure if he'll learn a lot about the company yeah. i mean maybe he'll have a list of of efforts they're making uh and and some there'll be some news there um but that's about it yeah i i wouldn't expect you know i again i you're right as far as the stock price it's taken such a beating um but the overall tech sector has gina it's taken a massive beating and there's been so many different things that have been going on you've had the facebook story bumbling in the background you've had the china story bumbling away as well um fortunately we've had a bloomberg intelligence saying for a while now that tech has looked vulnerable um gina walk me through and you can take a victory lap if you like no i don't take victory <laughs> laps because right around the corner <laughs> i'll be wrong so no victory laps but i think coming into this year there have been there were a number of signals suggesting that tech was vulnerable to at least a shorter term correction. Yeah, you know if you think about when this started, this didn't start because of um, the uh, privacy concerns. The peak for Facebook really happened on their last earnings release, and in that earnings release, they you know hinted that maybe user growth was slowing down, maybe advertising um, would slow down in the future. Like they didn't, they didn't give any real negative news, but the armor of tech really took a bit of a hit with Facebook as well as Alphabet's earnings announcements all the way back three months ago. So this to me is more of a story of dampening expectations for a sector that has been so very dominant for so long.
Gina Martin Adams sticking with us alongside Michael Regan. Next up on the program, we'll have a discussion here in New York City about a calm equity market, but a pickup in vol. And banks should be performing. It's earnings season this week. That's next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. After bemoaning quiet markets and what a calm we had for about a year, the banks can't moan any longer. Volatility spiked in late January and February brought life back to the equities, foreign exchange, treasury and commodities markets. But not all volatility is created equal. Big movements in asset prices sometimes spook clients enough that they decide to simply wait out the fluctuations. So is it good vol or bad vol? Analysts now expect trading revenues to climb 5% amid improved volatility. So which banks will be the winners and will the sector win full stop? Michael Regan, Senior Editor and League Blogger for Markets Life and Gina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg, joins us as well. Gina, it should have been a good quarter for the banks. It should have been. Should have been. It should have been. been. Is it a good fall or the bad fall? Which one is it? <laughs> well, we'll see, right? The, the, now is the testing time for all these banks that complained about volatility being suppressed and a, and a problematic for earnings. Volatility is certainly no longer suppressed, but will they actually see an earnings bump? I mean, we were talking a little bit uh, during the break about we tend to focus very much on the investment banking portion of these bank revenues. But yeah. really, when you look at core growth for the financial sector, it's all about our loans, our loans increasing. Uh, is the U.S. consumer in the U.S. commercial space uh, exhibiting some appetite for greater and greater debt? And what's happening with deposits? And there, I think, trends are somewhat muted. So while the investment banks may show you um, much better results if volatility is indeed good for investment banking revenues, uh, they may show you better results, but at the same time, you might have some offset from a relatively lackluster consumer spending, relatively lackluster commercial spending, commercial and industrial loan growth. Um, and that's probably a bigger, bigger story. So frankly. what's the bottom line for you, Gina, with Bloomberg Intelligence, that the banks get this tax cut and you get this one off improvement to the bottom line, but there's no boost to growth that ultimately would support these businesses for a longer period of time? Well, I think if I can take this discussion beyond the discussion beyond the banks, one of the things that we've noted is that revisional revisions for domestic companies, earnings revisions for domestic companies have far surpassed those for multinational revisions over the last three months. But uh, operating margin revisions and sales revisions have been much slower. As a matter of fact, operating margin estimates fell for domestically oriented companies in the S&P 500 over the last three months. Sales estimates were flat, and the more multinational companies, the more diversified businesses, actually are showing stronger top-line trends and margin growth potential than the domestic businesses. So I am a little bit worried that a lot of the tax reform is being priced into earnings expectations. We need to see some generally better economic conditions, some generally better business conditions to keep this party going. Yeah, because tax reform is a one-time adjustment. We need to see better operating margin expansion. We need to see better sales growth across the index, and that that plays out in financials too. 
the domestically oriented companies are getting a big earnings boost, but will they get a big sales boost too? It's a big question. It's a really good point too. And what I also think is really interesting, and Gina has pointed it out throughout the last three months, is that we've had this equity market drawdown, Michael, at a time where earnings forecasts haven't rolled over. I think that's quite fascinating and quite unusual as well. Uh, Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I guess... You know, it suggests um, there's not as much faith in in the estimates uh, as perhaps there should be or or could be, (laughs) hypothetically. But one thing I love about the bank's earnings season is um, not just the micro look at their businesses, but you get it's it's such a great day for for macro views when you when you get a J.P. Morgan or, or Bank of America. Reporting. I mean, you get to see the consumer credit trends. You know, are yeah. default, our defaults and uh, delinquencies staying low, and you get you know some answers to some questions that I think are on a lot of people's minds. That um, for better or worse, I think that the bank CEOs do a decent job of, of answering honestly. Like, are they seeing clients worried about the the trade uh, tensions? Are they worried? You get a about... real insight to economic activity. I think you do. Yeah, yeah, I think you do, and I think there's there, there's often a lot of candor there. I mean, a lot of CEOs in other industries when I listen to their calls, there's this kind of uber optimism and, and omnipresent optimism. I, I find bank CEOs to be a little bit, you know, they have less places to hide. I yeah. Think. I'm going to get you on a call with Jamie Dimon one day. I mean, he rarely ever talks about the bank, just talks about everything else. Right, right, right. Michael Regan, Gina Martin Adams, sticking with me. Next up on the program, the day ahead, the days ahead, we'll bring you the diary for your week ahead. That's up next. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. What a good day for the equity market bulls. The FTSE 100 closing higher by 1% dead flat. Up across the board on the continent by 1.11% on the equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany, and some decent gains in the United States of America. The S&P 500 up by 1.39%, the Dow up by 1.55%. The story, China, and a conciliatory tone from President Xi Jinping in China over trade issues. Now, actions, of course, are much louder than words, but this is a war of words, so tone ultimately matters in the short term. And it's a market still driven, ultimately, by sentiment, and the sentiment has improved. That's captured in the FX market as a weaker yen throughout much of the day. 107 spot 23 is where dollar yen trades up by four tenths of 1%. It also means yields bleed a little bit higher on 10 year treasuries, but there's an inflation factor in there too. We're up by two basis points to almost 2.8% on a US 10 year. That takes me to the week ahead because we get some all important inflation data through the week. PPI today came in hot tomorrow, US CPI. The other things to watch through the rest of today. The Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg heading to Capitol Hill. Full coverage of that on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg TV. As far as tomorrow is concerned, outside of that US CPI print, FOMC minutes are released and in the morning, look out for UK industrial production at 9.30 and on Thursday Eurozone industrial production numbers and US jobless claims and for a lot of people who are very, very bored of the trade discussion, you can get excited about earnings season in the United States which kicks off, I say, officially 
officially, I think unofficially, Mike Regan with J.P. Morgan, or is that the official start? It's the so unofficial official, official start. Official. I, there we go. I, I think there we go. Used to always be Alcoa, but I, I guess when they got dumped from the Dow, yeah, we've moved we on from that. Do, do we yeah. do we call that the start of earnings season? I do. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I structure all of our earnings releases throughout J.P. Morgan getting it started, so we're in a frenzy to try to get out go. our thoughts on what's coming. But so that comes Friday. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll be Friday. Which city group? So look out for that, and then the bank earnings will come through thick and fast next week. U.S. Michigan consumer sentiment employment another data point to, to round out the week as well with me to round out the program I'm really pleased to say is Ginny Martin Adams chief equity strategist for Bloomberg and Michael Regan senior editor and lead blogger for Markets Live so just some of the themes that we're looking at Gina I just want to begin with this inflation theme inflation expected to pick up tomorrow are we primed for that are we ready for that uh, I think we're ready for it as long as it's incremental. I mean, the PPI numbers aren't bothering anyone today necessarily, though I do think that sectors are woefully underprepared for inflation. So they, the market itself, you know, these modest increases in inflation aren't going to necessarily bother the market until we get to much faster prints. But sectors have completely and totally ignored the idea that inflation expectations are rising, the inflation prints are beating expectations with relative persistence. And I think that's part of the reason why energy stocks have started to perform so well over the last month or so, is we are seeing some real signs of inflation in the economy. And while it's not particularly robust, it's faster than it has been. And the result is that you should see the inflation-sensitive sector start to perform quite a bit better. Mike Reagan? Yeah, I think it's interesting uh, that inflation seems to be perking up where some of the other eco-indicators are cooling off a little bit. Um, yeah. So it might explain some of the sort of risk-off sentiment we've well, seen. Well, base effects saying. are very important for the inflation print. Tomorrow. Right, right. The telecom story of this month last year right. meant that when you start comparing this month last year to this month this year, you're going to see a more pronounced tick higher right. in the inflation rate in the year-on-year number. And I think that kind of explains the tick higher in inflation. So for the economists out there, I don't think they're going to be too spooked by this. Even if there is a sudden pickup, I think a lot of people will say this is going to sort of play itself out through the year. Would that be right? We'll see. <laughs> I think that's definitely what the economists are saying. Yeah. I will totally agree with you. That's what the economists are saying. Though, if you look at things like market expectations for inflation, you look at five-year, five-year break-evens, we're testing levels we haven't been at in several years. That's a really good point. So I, I do think that while the economists will explain away the inflation numbers as they well, good tend that, to do, I used to be one, so <laughs> I remember. Um, I, I do think that the market is getting incrementally more nervous about inflation, yeah. and so we do seem to be at this potential tipping point. You know, it just takes one one print that's a little bit more robust than expected, and suddenly we break a past that that break even level that we've sort of found resistance at so many times over the last several years. And Gina, just before we let you go, um, the work you're doing on leverage at the moment, are we starting to look at companies that have built up a little bit too much debt relative to their earnings? Yeah, really interesting um, shift in factor performance. We're noting that uh, over the last year, suddenly equity investors are starting to pay attention to the balance sheet. So companies with lower cash ratios are materially underperforming companies with high cash ratios. Companies with higher debt to EBITDA, net debt to EBITDA ratios, are un materially underperforming the low net debt to EBITDA companies. So you are starting to see some uh, discernment on the equity investor base with respect to leverage, which is very consistent with things like rising volatility tends to work to the detriment of highly levered companies. 
um, higher rates certainly were to the detriment of higher levered companies. So it, we're just even more sensitive to what happens with that earnings is line. This, is this more than just the Tesla story? Yeah, it is. I mean, this is looking at the S&P 500, wow. sector neutralized cross sectors. So we're, we're starting to see this as a theme emerge, which frankly is pretty consistent with late cycle behavior. Yeah. Is it a flight to quality, would you call it? Yet, I wouldn't call it flight to quality per se. It's definitely a flight to profitability. Um, so higher margin companies outperforming, lower, lower margin companies, higher return on equity, return on invested capital companies outperforming. Um, so certainly a flight to profitability and some flight away from leverage. That's really, really interesting. And Gina, I hope you're going to be on TV with me soon. You on with me tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow and T Thursday. Tomorrow, you tomorrow. will not. You'll have Fantastic. way too much of me this week. So tomorrow morning <laughs> on Bloomberg TV, we're going to have a, a real dig into that. So that's 9 a.m. Eastern time and 2 p.m. In, uh, in London. So look out for that. Gina Marston-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg, and Michael Regan, Senior Editor and Lead Blogger for Markets Live. Guys, it's been great to catch up with you on what has been a very, very big day for the market as the mood kind of improves. How long it lasts, I have no idea. You've been listening to Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable.